Ryan, you can have a seat. On Epiphany, one of the traditional texts for today is the story of the wise men visiting the Christ child. And so that's our story today. It's only found in the Gospel of Matthew, not in any of of the other three Gospels. It's a very familiar story. It gets told and retold. But I want you to hear today that I think it's worth retelling and it's worth listening to closely. And so this is Matthew chapter 2, the first 12 verses. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where is the child who's been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all of Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet, And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring bring me word, so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then opened their treasure chests. They offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warmed in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. This is a story of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, considering all that you already know about this story, there are a few things I want you to notice about the scripture. First of all, we don't know how much time has elapsed since Jesus was born. The text says that he's a child in his mother's arms. So he's probably not 12 years old, right? There's no way my 12-year-old would get in my arms. But he also may not be a newborn, Uh, Matthew doesn't call these wise men kings, and he doesn't mention any camels. Those are both images from Isaiah chapter 60 that Ryan read earlier. Matthew doesn't name the wise men, and he doesn't tell us how many wise men there are. Some say there were 12. Some say there were 144. Most say there were three. And most people say three wise men because there were three gifts. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And so for me today, for me this year, this story in Matthew's gospel is about gifts. And in some countries, Epiphany is the time of giving gifts. Children leave their shoes outside of the door to their house filled with hay for camels, and the camels eat the hay, and the wise men leave gifts in the empty shoes. And so I want to unwrap for you today a few gifts that I find in this story. I'm not looking to scare you as I unwrap these gifts. Instead, I'm hoping for the reaction of, it's the underwear. I get the underwear. (laughs) We're looking for excitement, right? Okay, Barbara Brown Taylor imagined the scene uh, in Bethlehem this way. She writes it in this way. She said, 
The wise men followed the star right to the doorway of a one-room house in Bethlehem. It was a perfectly nice place, modest and well-built. It was just not the kind of place that they had expected to find a king. When the door opened, the couple inside almost died of fright. Not that the wise men noticed. With their arms full of gifts, they crowded into the small space, bumping their turbans on the rafters and snagging their robes on the rough furniture. All they could see was the baby who was not afraid and whose right eye shone with the same star they had seen. It was he then, whoever he was. They didn't have a clue, but they knew what to do. They got down on their knees and worshipped him. Then they gave him the things that they had brought him, all the wrong things, things he had no use for. They should have brought goat's milk, a warm blanket, something shiny to hang above the crib. Only how could they have guessed? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These are very strange gifts for a baby. But in some sense, from my own experience, I understand Each of my babies were given gifts that seemed very strange at their birth. Books, you know, it may be hard to believe, but none of my children were born reading books. They were given silver spoons and silver rattles that they couldn't hold. They were even given money toward their college tuition. When I consider the gifts that were given to the Christ child, I think, Well, someday that gold's going to come in handy, but what about the myrrh and the frankincense? Are these just strange gifts from foreigners? About a year and a half ago, we sent our oldest child to India. (laughs) A gift. (laughs) A gift. (laughs) That was a strange gift. It was. (laughs) Are you okay? Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> I'm glad you're all right. <laughs> About a year and a half ago, Keith and I sent our oldest child to India to study abroad, and when, when she went, we sent her with gifts. I went over to the quarry to Bed Bath & Beyond, and um, I bought a kitchen cutting board in the shape of the state of Texas. And we packed that in her suitcase, and she took it. Now, we are pretty certain that that cutting board has never seen food preparation in India, and it's also never seen a kitchen. Instead, Claire's host family hung it on the wall in their home, like like artwork. It wasn't what I was thinking when I bought it, but so very honoring, like more honor than I deserve. I do have to wonder if the family, as they look at the state of Texas hanging on their wall, doesn't think that my taste in art is a little strange. Strange gift of a Westerner. <laughs> now, now, there is somebody in Matthew's story who gives worse gifts than I do. And the person in Matthew's story who gives really terrible gifts is King Herod. King Herod tells the wise men, go and search for the child, and when you find him, bring me word so that I may also go and pay him homage. Preaching professor Ellsworth Callis says that Herod's idea of paying homage is the sort of thing that he did for his wife, her mother, and three of his sons. He killed them. He killed them. He murdered them so that they wouldn't take his throne. 
So paranoid was Herod that Emperor Augustus said in Herod's home, it is better to be his pig than his son. Because Herod is a part of this story, we are reminded that it is possible to give really terrible gifts, gifts that nobody wants, gifts that are fueled by fear. Author and researcher and uh, army veteran Elizabeth Stanley has written a book that's titled Widen the Window, and she gives new insight into stress and trauma in our modern lives and the tools that we need to heal and thrive. One of the things I recently heard her teach was the concept of stress contagion, that stress is contagious among us, like a cold or a virus is contagious. Most often, stress originates not in our own setting or our own lives, but it originates in the people around us. And we are most contagious, or we are most vulnerable to this this contagious uh, stress when it comes from, first of all, the people that we have uh, attachment bonds with, like parents or children or our partner. The other time that we're most vulnerable to stress contagion is that um, we can receive it from people that we have a power difference with. So uh, bosses, teachers, those people that we follow as leaders. When I think of Herod's presence in this story, I think, man, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to pass on the gift of fear to other people around me. I want to find ways to manage my stress and anxiety so that I'm not passing it on. Now, Old Testament theologian Walter Brueggemann helped me this week to see that there's a gift in this Bible story that I've never spotted before. And this is the gift from the writer, the gift from Matthew. Matthew puts in this story a dialogue between two Hebrew prophets. The prophet Isaiah, whom Ryan read earlier, Isaiah prophesies in chapter 60, the eastern kings will arrive on camels and they'll come to Jerusalem with gifts. Now Isaiah chapter 60 was written to encourage people who were returning to Jerusalem from the exile. And they found their holy city in shambles. It was bombed out. There was no viable economy there. There was no possibility there. And so Isaiah promises that Jerusalem will be restored. It will be restored to its former splendor and prominence. But you see, Matthew kind of trips the reader up a bit here. The wise men do go to Jerusalem, right, with gifts to look for the promised Messiah as a student of the prophet would expect. But do they find the king in Jerusalem? Well, not the king they wanted, right? They find King Herod in Jerusalem, and he is certainly not the king that they're looking for. King Herod is filled with fear, and everyone around him is afraid. And so Jerusalem is certainly not where this Messiah resides. Herod has the high priests and the religion scholars do a little research, and they bring to him another Old Testament prophet, the prophet Micah, which is quoted in this story, Micah chapter 5, beginning with verse 2. And Micah said this, but you, Bethlehem, 
Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely from his greatness. His greatness will reach the ends of the earth. So the prophet Micah was a little bit different from the prophet Isaiah. The prophet Micah wasn't a city dweller. The prophet Micah was a rural peasant. He was a rural poet, and he envisioned that there would be a very common leader, a leader who was a shepherd, and the shepherd leader would bring well-being to all people. And so the wise men who are these Eastern intellectuals find the king of the Jews not in Jerusalem, where one would expect in the holy capital. Instead, they find the Messiah in Bethlehem. And we get that what is to come, what is to come will be groundbreaking. It'll be earth-shattering for everyone who truly encounters this king as the wise men do encounter this new kind of king, will have their world turned upside down, and they will do what the wise men do, which is go home by another way. That's verse 12 of this passage. It's how the story ends. They go home another way. They go home by another road. And I have to think that that's the best gift. That is the best gift in each of our spiritual journeys, a new road, a new way to travel, safe from the danger of Herod's intrusion. And quite possibly, it's the finest gift that the wise men bring to you and to me. It's a new route. As we begin 2020, instead of pressuring you for a resolution, I think I would do better to ask, what's the new way that's set in front of you right now? What's the new route set before you? Now, Alexander John Shia teaches that the gifts that the wise men bring to the infant the gold and the frankincense and the myrrh. They aren't a miscalculation, and they aren't strange, but he says instead they are highly symbolic. I have to believe that this is true. He says that all three of the gifts would call to mind for the first reader of Matthew a particular place, and that particular place would be the great temple in Jerusalem. Gold would decorate the worship vessels in the temple. Myrrh was highly aromatic, and it was added to the oil that was used to anoint kings and priests. And frankincense was burned in the highest of sacrificial offerings. So when the wise men bring the baby Jesus, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, the temple has found a new location the infant Messiah, the body of Christ. And the Messiah, as an adult, will gather his disciples for the Passover meal, and he will give them a gift, right? He will take the bread and say, this is my body. He will take the cup and say, this is my blood. Here in this act, among my followers, among this body is life. As we celebrate the sacrament of communion together, I'm going to invite you to join in the prayer of great thanksgiving with me. It's a responsive prayer, and you'll see your prayer response on the screen. 
above. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and a good and joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, Almighty God. You are creator of heaven and earth. Before the mountains were brought forth or you had formed the earth from everlasting to everlasting, you alone are God. You created light out of darkness and brought forth life on the earth. You formed us in your image and you breathed into us the breath of life. When we turned away and our love failed, your love remained steadfast. You delivered us from captivity, made covenant to be our sovereign God, and spoke to us through the prophets. And so with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and we join their unending hymn. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Holy are you and blessed is your son, Jesus Christ in whom you have revealed yourself, our light, and our salvation. You sent a star to guide guide wise men to where the Christ was born. And in your signs and witnesses, in every age through all the world, you have led your people from far places to his light. On the night in which he gave himself up for us, our Lord and Savior took bread, gave thanks to you, broke the bread, and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to you, gave it to his disciples, and said, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood. It's a new covenant. It's poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of the faith. The Christ has died, the Christ has risen, the Christ will come again. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit and your holy church, all honor and glory is yours, almighty God, now and forever. Amen.